appreciate that. Enjoy it very much. <coughs> We've had a request from uh, Wanda Mannery this morning for uh, an, an obedient thing to the scriptures, to be anointed with oil. And so we're going to do that this morning. I had an occasion in the past to participate in that with a, another man who's in the hospital. And then uh, I've actually had it done myself. Um, I sympathize and relate to what Wanda's going through because, uh, well, I had my test this past week, had a bone scan. That was clear. So that's been good. That's um, way back when I first had my prostate cancer treatment, which would have been, I think it was the, oh, it was an O2. Um, they found a spot on my pelvis, and um, so which indicates the cancer had already metastasized, but they went ahead and did the other treatment anyway. And then I think it was two years later, no, three, yeah, yeah, been two years later, I had another scan and the spots were still there. And I didn't have any more scans for several years. And then all of a sudden, uh, decided, well, PSA is starting to go up. Better have a bone scan. And there's been, they've been clear. I've had three or four, maybe five of them now. And they've all been clear. But my PSA numbers still continue to rise. And that's the indicator that there's still active cancer going on there. But nonetheless, I say that back in, uh, and I don't remember the year, I think it was 01 or 02, that I went forward and had the Lord, uh, uh, had his people, his elders, pray over me and anoint me with oil and so on. So um, we do that in faith. And um, James chapter 5 tells us there, he says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So there's a, there's a cleansing and a forgiveness of sin that goes along with this very act here. So, well, Johnny, if you would bring, escort your wife up here. We would like to, and we'll have men come eventually here now they're going to be coming you tell them well he's waving them on and if you don't mind you could just sit down right here Wanda and we will have our men come and stand around you Walt and Jerry are coming and Harris and uh, Brother Angus would you mind coming up please and Ken will be here I don't know that this passage indicates elders that it means ordained people necessarily just means the old men of the church, and we do, we do have a group of them here. That, that brings them along. So, now I, I think that means older ones maybe in the congregation. So if we could have Jerry Harris maybe come over on this side. We'll kind of gather around here, and um, so this is my first experience of actually doing this. Now I made up a little bottle olive oil here. And if I remember right, I think I got this little bottle here because it was from Israel, if I remember right. But I took the label off anyway. I didn't want that on here. Didn't want the crass commercialism peeking its head through here. But I didn't have any other place to get olive oil. So it's the real deal. So Ms. Wanda has been going through her treatments 
and uh, but she's trusting the Lord through it. And I know Brother Johnny here, he's concerned for her and praying for her as well and constantly uh, asking prayer for her. And, and uh, she's come this morning for this particular occasion that we might pray over her. So we're going to do that just now. Wanda, I'm just going to put some on your forehead here. And um, I know with, uh, with the... Uh, I'll let you hold that. You can wipe that off when we're done. Um, I know with uh, the priests, when they were anointed, you know, it said, uh, says there that the oil ran down Aaron's beard. Well, we're not going to let it run down that far this morning, and we don't have a beard to worry about anyway. But we do believe in God. We believe his word, and we do believe in prayer. And so we're going to do that just now. I'm going to ask uh, our, our only deacon at the moment, uh, here any, with us anyway, Harris, if he would uh, lead us in prayer. And we don't, you know, if we just come around this way, and if you feel led to pray for Wanda this morning, we can all pray. It's fine with me, and then I'll close. Okay? So if you would come around, lay your hands on Wanda. Of course, we don't know that there's any meritorious uh, thing happening by laying hands on as far as our prayer going through to Wanda. But I, I do know that when I was prayed over, I really felt the presence of the Lord in a most unique way. And it's experience I'll never forget. And uh, we want that to be this way for Wanda too. All right? So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Brother Harris? Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're so thankful for Wanda. We ask that you would touch her as only you can do, heal her, and uh, bring her back good. And we pray for Johnny as he has to take care of her. We ask these treatments would be great on Wanda. We sing to ask Christ's name. Father, we thank you for this day that you've provided for us to come together like this. We thank you for Wanda and for her testimony and her love for you. And we come before you at this time for a particular request, and that's that you would be with her and minister to her in the times of these treatments, that they would do that which uh, the medical field has developed them to do and she permitted them to do. And, Father, we ask that you would give wisdom to those who wait upon her. We pray for Johnny, that you would help him to have the strength that he needs. and Just, just help Help them to realize that you are a great God, that you can do mighty and wonderful things. Mm -hmm. And we just uh, depend and, and claim that promise for her today. And we pray this in Christ's name. Father, we come to you again and tell you that we love you so very, very, very much. And Father, here a while back at Morrisville Baptist Church, they've done the same thing and it healed the woman. And Father, we just pray that you'll heal her. Mm -hmm because there's nothing impossible for you to do mm -hmm. because you created the whole universe. And Father, we just pray for Johnny. We just pray that you love him in a special way and her too. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, we come before the throne of grace because our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has made this possible for us. And we bring our sister, Wanda, before thee. We also, Father, reflect upon the truth of your word. We're to live by every word that comes out of you, out of your mouth. And that which, Father, is recorded in your word, 
concerning this anointing and to bringing the sick before you. We do it because you have said to do so. For Father, we know that man is limited in his ability to do anything, even to heal. But as we come before your throne and your holy presence, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt there is nothing that you cannot do. So based upon your word, based upon that which you have told us about concerning Christ, your son, but now, Father, that as we're believers, we bring this one, Wanda, before you for your special care. Father, touch her body. Bring healing. And, Father, may the Lord Jesus Christ be honored and glorified because we come in his name, the name of thy Son, our Savior. Amen. Our Father, we come to you this morning and we ask a special blessing for this lovely person. Wanda has fought a hard battle. We ask that you touch her body and heal her. Mm-hmm. Lord, we ask that a special blessing for Johnny with his two precious people. Yeah. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to share in a moment like this with uh, Johnny and then his wife, Wanda. We thank you that we have a couple here who believes your word. They believe what you've promised, and this is what you've said to do, to call for the elders of the church and let them anoint them and pray over them. We hear the promise of your word, Father. We know that promise is for today. We do know, too, Father, that there's coming a day when you said that the Son of Righteousness will come with healing in his wings. We know that that day will bring healing for the world, for every government, every person. But today we're here for a special need, and we ask God that you would visit us from heaven this morning, that you would touch... Wanda's body, that you would grant her healing, and that you'd lift her up, and that you'd give her strength. Restore her, we pray, and for her husband, Johnny, who stands by her side and seeks to walk by faith as well, and we know they are going through this, this dark tunnel together. And so we're thankful for that. And Lord, let us help carry the burden that we might remember to pray. And Lord, as we close, we just want to express our gratitude and our thanksgiving to you, Father, for allowing us this privilege. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask you for this healing. Amen. 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 Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Wanda, for your faith and being willing to come this morning. God bless you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. You bet. Yeah. Okay. All right, Miss Wanda. God bless you. God bless you,
was panicking. I couldn't find my oil this morning. I'd forgotten where I put it. I said, there's only one place I could have put it that's left, and that's here. And thankfully, it was here. Grateful for that. I, 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 told, I made my signs with Harris. If I go like this, that means go get the oil. If I go like this, we're okay. So we did all right. <laughs> so we, we appreciate that. Okay. We are going to continue in Matthew chapter 5. We did not finish last week. And uh, I really didn't know what I was going to call this second half, so I just titled it, A Son Indeed Loves Indeed, Part 2. So I had to go back and retitle the other one, Part 1. So we'll have two parts to it, but I think we should be able to finish this this morning. We... So let's read those verses once again, starting with Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. It says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? <clears throat> Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, we read those verses last week. And we saw that in this first verse here, verse 43, where he says, love, uh, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy, we saw that this was basically a, a perversion of God's word. He says, you have heard that it was said. So that makes it very obvious it had been taught and was being taught as something from God's word. But we saw that they left out some key components. Left out was... Love your neighbor as thyself. And then the other thing we saw was there was really nothing in the scripture that in the Old Testament that taught that they were to hate their enemy. As a matter of fact, it actually really teaches the opposite. So these teachers of the law then, they, they, they put the emphasis then on who is my neighbor. That was the big question. Who is my neighbor? And if you'll turn to Luke chapter 10 and verse 25, we see a good example of that. A lawyer was basically uh, like a scribe, an interpreter of the law, and a teacher of the law. And in Luke chapter 10, we have this parable concerning the Good Samaritan. And we won't go through the entire thing. We just want to look at the, the uh, initial couple of verses of this. He says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. That is, he was putting Jesus to the test. And he said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Or what he was asking, therefore, was kingdom life, age-lasting life. He was simply asking, just like the rich young ruler did, Lord, how can I be sure that I will be there in your kingdom? That 1,000-year reign. 
when Jesus rules the world. And so Jesus told him, he said, well, what is it written in the law? It tells you right there what to do. And he's, in verse 27, he read it. He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Now, he quoted it correctly. And he said unto him, that is, Jesus said to him, Well, you have answered correctly. This is right. This do, and thou shalt live. And you'll notice, he says, Thou shalt live. In other words, you will have that life you're asking about. And notice what he says then, verse 29. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? That was the big deal they made of this. Well, who's my neighbor? If you can tell me who my neighbor is, then that tells me that anybody else I should hate. As a matter of fact, they would go so far even as to say God commanded them to hate them. But I need to know who my neighbor is. And so Jesus in the parable here concerning the Levite and the Samaritan we call it the parable of the Good Samaritan, but you know there's a Levite in here too, and he's a part of the story, a very critical part of the story. And as we know the outcome of the parable, the Levite, he treated him as an enemy. Wouldn't even touch the guy, wouldn't even get near him. He walked out around him. But the Samaritan comes along and binds up his wounds and puts oil on them. And even took him to an inn and got him a place to stay. And we could, I think, imply their food to eat along with it. And so then Jesus asks the lawyer, you know, which one now do you think was neighbor? He's answering the question. Who, which one of these was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. And so Jesus said, go and do. Likewise, go and do it. It's a proactive thing. It takes actions, deed, to show the kind of love towards your neighbor, who in this case he viewed as an enemy, to prove or to show forth your love. And in the sermon here that Jesus is preaching in chapter 5, this is what he's talking about. Your neighbor, the one who is near to you in need and you have the capacity to help that one in need. That's your neighbor. Now, as we saw last week, we said this, this is the apex, as it were, of this sermon. It's the last of, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. It's the last of these sayings. And so he's building his whole message then to surround this whole idea, this concept of love. And we ended last week on verse 45. He says, that ye may be the children of your father, which is in heaven. Now, of course, being a, a child or a son, as it actually says there, the Greek word is to be a son, that you may be sons of your father, 
which is in heaven. How did it come to be? How does that come to pass? Well, God was equally clear in the Old Testament, I think, that we were to love our neighbor as, ourself, as ourselves. In other words, we, we saw last week Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, love your neighbor as yourself. But you know also in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 4, he says there, If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him. And that was one of the injunctions that the Jew had. If your enemy, bring it back to him. That was, in essence, an act of love. Also, he says in verse uh, uh, 5, he says, If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden, and wouldest forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help with him. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17, it says there, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbles. And that tells us just a little bit about the attitude that God is directing us to have towards the enemy. In chapter 25 of Proverbs, verse 21, he says, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty... Give him water to drink, for thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Well, if we look down here in chapter 5, verse 46, he says, If you love them which love you, what reward have thee? What are you going to get? You know that reward reward there is just the common ordinary reward, misthos. It's the word for pay, uh, wages pay. In other words, it's what the Lord is going to do in direct proportion for what you and I do to our enemy. Now, then he says it in the, at the end of verse 45, he gives us the principle there. The Lord sends rain on the just and the unjust. He makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. It's and by the way, you see, it make, he maketh his son. He is the owner of the weather. He directs it on whom he will. Several years ago, we had this, uh, it was Hurricane Katrina that came through New Orleans. And another fellow and I, we went down there to kind of just scope the area out, find some churches or individuals to see what we could do to maybe help. And when I got back, I wrote this little article for, and to put it in the, the magazine of BIMI. And I did a lot of research on the weather and the Lord's dealings. And boy, you, if you do that, you come away with one thought. God is in control of the weather, period. Everything that happens in the weather, whether it's a little downpour of rain a horrendous thunderstorm, a mild breeze, a hurricane, I don't care what it is, earthquake, volcano, he's in charge. He set it in motion to happen accordingly. And so he, he, he shows no partiality between the evil and the good, between the just and the unjust. He sends his sun and rain on each equally. And he uses this, Jesus does, 
to show how we should act in our love towards them. He says, if you love them which love you, that just destroys the whole principle. You haven't done a thing. If we are merely showing love one to another here, then we've missed the whole point and we haven't accomplished anything. It is the Now, not that we're not supposed to do that. We'll get over there to 1 John where he says, if you love your brother and you say you're walking in the light and you hate your brother, then you're still in darkness. You haven't made any progress. But the point is, is that to be loving of our enemies, which is out of proportion to loving our brother, that's when we get pay. That is when we get wages. That is when we get reward. And there will be payment for that right down to the cup of cold water that's given in the Lord's name. Now, I want to read a few verses from some other translations concerning this verse 45. This little phrase, especially, that ye may be the sons of your Father which is in heaven, or literally it's in the heavens, as we consistently find out through Matthew's gospel. Uh, Turn with me. While you're thinking about that, turn over to Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, which I trust would be a a very familiar verse to us. Romans chapter 8 In Romans 8:17, verse 16, we'll read, "The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs or co-heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him." Now, that word suffer doesn't necessarily mean you lay around agonizing in pain and your body is racked with all kinds of problems and everything. It includes that. But it means identifying with his name, doing the things he's talking about back here in chapter 5 of, of the sermon. And you'll notice he says, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now, the little word that is the Greek word henna. And it carries the idea of purpose. That's why some translate this, in order that you may be glorified together. And to continue the thought, the idea is to be glorified together with him. So you say, well, when's he going to be glorified? And when will we be glorified together with him? When the Son of Man comes in his glory... He will come to establish his kingdom rule over the earth. He will come in his glory. And what he's promising here then is that if we suffer with him as his child, we are co-heirs with him, and then we will be glorified together with him when he comes. Now, back in Matthew chapter 5, 
verse 45. That word that, it's not henna. So this verse here does not mean do these things in order that you can become sons of God. Although some do translate it that way. But several others do not and they get it right. It's that ye be. Notice it doesn't say become. That ye be sons of God. In other words, he's simply saying, you do this, you love your enemy, you bless them, you do good to them, you pray for them, so that you will be acting as a son. Now, I want to read some translation. By the way, just to be technical... It's a middle, what's called a middle deponent. A middle deponent is translated as an active verb. So you do these things. You be this. In other words, this is what a son does. You pray for your enemy. You bless him. You do good to him. Now, the majority text version says this, so that you may prove to be sons. That carries somewhat the idea. The contemporary English version says, then you will be acting like your father in heaven. I think he catches the idea there. You'll be being a true son. Goodspeed's New Testament says, so that you may show yourselves true sons of your father in heaven. You see with what difficulty it is to kind of grasp the full idea here. The Williams New Testament says to prove that you are sons of your Father in heaven. So the emphasis here is on the be as opposed to become. You're not becoming a son. You are being a son when you act like this, when you do these things. So when we love our enemies, we pray for them, bless them, and so on then we're showing ourselves to be sons of our Father who is in the heavens. And why shouldn't we pray for him? After all, Jesus says, I send my son. The Father sends his son on the good and the evil and the just and the unjust. <clears throat> then he goes on to say in verse 47... Well, the end of verse 46, concerning loving them which love you, he says, don't the publicans do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans? You know, a publican was a tax collector. He wasn't the most popular guy in town. And so it was common for them, you know, to see another tax collector walking down the street, you know, how you doing this morning? Greet them. God bless you. Have a good day or whatever they said. They weren't going to get rebuked by one of their fellow tax collectors, would they? They were welcomed. And he's simply telling us, if you don't do any more than that to your fellow brother, you haven't done anything more than a publican would do. So... Jesus is trying to set this principle of love for your enemy on a very high pedestal. 
And then he ends it all by saying, be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, the little word perfect means complete, full, full age, mature. It means to arrive at that which God has designed for us. So, if we want to be perfect, then we do what he said here in this passage. And of course, this is really a summation, not just of this passage here, but the whole sermon up to this point. So, that includes all these other things that he said about taking an oath, about divorce, about being reconciled to our brother, about adultery, you know, all these other things. Not being resistant to those who are uh, trying to do evil to us and so on. But to be perfect, to be the person that God has called us to be. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's just simply setting forth the things that I say you can do and that I've called you forth to be. As a matter of fact, if we want to be participants in his kingdom, we have to do these things. Because he tells us back in chapter 5, verse 20, if you just back up a few verses... He says, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the kingdom. Well, all he's done here in the several examples that he's given us up to this point is to tell us, here are some examples of how your righteousness can exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. You so conduct your life and reorient your thinking and your life to these principles that I've laid down before you, and your righteousness will exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, we saw there that that word exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees um, meant to abound or superabound, to go way over and above their righteousness. Now, in the Jewish economy, in, the day, in Jesus' day, there was nobody who thought, I think, well, except the true believers, thought anybody could exceed or do better than a Pharisee who was a strict follower of the law. But I want to read a few verses here where this word exceed is used elsewhere in Scripture here. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, he says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope. Now it's the same word here translated exceed. That you may exceed or excel in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 8 says, But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither are, uh, if we eat not are we the worse. Now it might sound a little tough to get that word out of that verse there, but the word better. So he's saying there, food commends us not to God, neither if we eat are we the better off, are we excelling. Have we done anything to improve our standing with God? In other words, if we want to improve our standing with God, food isn't the place to do it. Being saying, you can eat this, but you can't eat that. Matter of fact, he says, you do one or the other, you're neither the better nor the worse. You haven't excelled in either case. 
Chapter 14, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians says, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel, abound, to the edifying of the church. That's what the gifts were to be for. Chapter 15, verse 58 of 1 Corinthians, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I like to put that word excelling. Exceeding, superabounding in the work of the Lord. I mean, Paul is laying it on heavy concerning our responsibility as a disciple of Jesus Christ and a follower of His to excel in the Christian walk, to be a true disciple. Now, if I could take this message out and put it on TV and radio, you would think we'll have a big, big crowd coming in, right? Next week, people are just going to flood Community Baptist Church. Not so. (laughs) You know that. Not the most popular message that you'll hear on TV or on the radio or in any pulpit in in this day and age. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, And this I am praying, that your love may be superabounding still more and more in realization and all sensibility. I'm not quoting King James here. This is the concordant version. For you to be testing what things are of consequence, that you may be sincere and no stumbling block for the day of Christ. Jerry read that verse about, You shall never fall out of Second Peter. Well, we're to superabound, he says, if we don't want to stumble, if we don't want to fall. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, And the Lord caused you to increase and to abound in love to one another and to all, to all, even as we also to you, to the establishing your hearts, blameless in sanctification before our God and Father, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. That's Young's literal translation. Notice this this superabounding love, one to another and to all, he says, is to the establishing your hearts blameless in sanctification. You know, that's just Paul's way of saying what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 5. Be therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Super abound in love. I think there's a song, isn't it, called titled Love's All Excelling? I just now thought of that. It's popped in my mind. Where that came from, I don't know. Love's All Excelling. That's exactly the thought of what Jesus is teaching us here in Matthew chapter 5. The excelling love that goes above and beyond the outward forms of religion. Both what we see today in churches around us, as well as in Jesus' day with the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, I'm going to skip these other verses here because of time. But you know, in Jude, in verse 24... His benediction said, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, stumbling, 
tripping up. If we fail in the area of love, then we've missed it all. We've missed everything. That's why John said in his epistle, Brethren, let us love one another, for love is of God. We've got to start here, but we can't let it end here. It has to go beyond the walls of this church and this fellowship. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for this great privilege of ours to be called the children of God. Yea, even for one to say he or she is a true son of God. Let our hearts be filled with the desire. And let us aspire, Father, to the highest degree that you've called us to. Let us seek after it with all diligence and all patience. For it's in Jesus' name we ask you these things. Amen.